Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsing, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, um, remember how, like, before Thanksgiving... I barely had sugar all year. Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I was really, I, listeners, was eating more sugar to make up for the fact that Kate was not consuming as much sugar. This is a complete lie. I actually don't consume a lot of sugar, um, but not nearly as, not nearly as less as Kate does. Well, <laughs> did, because yeah. like we finished our holiday baking and we sent everything out, which is good. Mm-hmm. But yes. then there are remainders, like all the remainders of things are mm-hmm. lingering uh, yeah. in the kitchen and staring at me going, I'm delicious. You should eat me. And if I do, then as soon as the sugar touches my mouth, like it's just there all day. Be like, ha, ah, now you want another one. Now you yeah. want another. So like I need to get off of the sugar. And at a certain point, I may have to just like throw out all the cookies because I will oh. eat them all. <laughs> You can send some more to me and my partner. I mean, that'll be fine. Um, Wait till you get the ones that we sent you okay. this weekend. You could also just like pour salt over them. Is like that, that won't stop me. I don't get salt in my normal food either. <laughs> like I stopped uh, doing the popcorn fair. everyday thing. So like that was like my salt delivery device. So I got gotcha. you. But yeah, but I mean it's like, like a lot of salt, like, like too a lot. much salt. Okay, so I might yeah. as well just them down to the disposal or like, you know, throw them outside and feed some animals, which can only lead to good things. Um, what I'm saying is if I sound more on edge than normal, it's because I am riding various sugar highs and crashes and very, my body's very not used to it. So sure. uh, yeah, I've got sugar coursing through my veins in a way that I haven't for quite a while. How are you? I'm fine. I also have had a little too much sugar. Like you, we did our holiday baking. We actually did our second round of holiday baking. Um, however, I'm not allowed to eat most of the cookies we uh-huh. make yeah. um, because we make just enough. Um, and any leftovers we have are the leftovers that are not good enough to be mailed, mm-hmm. um, which means they are, for the most part, not good enough to actually eat. Um, but so I've been enjoying some, um, leftover hobnobs, which listeners are a oat cookie that has like a little base of chocolate on the bottom of it. Uh, they're really delicious and they kind of hit a spot like first thing in the morning, um, is how I eat them. Um, along with oatmeal, because I'm a reasonable person that goes, it's just oatmeal in a cookie. Um, it's <laughs> Doesn't not. count. Which is why like pie, we used to, growing up, we called pie a daddy donut. It's like, it's, it's okay. not different than a donut. It's just, you know, so it's daddy. <laughs> I, I, what are we going to have for breakfast? Well, you know, you know, it's almost the same as a muffin is a donut. And you know, it's almost the same as uh, a donut is pie. So clearly we're going to have pie for breakfast because mom is busy working out. So she can't stop us. Uh, hurry up and eat it before she gets back. Um, yeah, I think all of that tracks. I don't have any issues with that. Seems yeah. right. Like blueberry muffin, blueberry pie, right? Like it's the yeah. same thing. Counts. You actually probably get more blueberry with the pie than you do with a muffin. Well, there you go. See? Yeah. Healthy see? life choices. I mean, unless it's like a blueberry compote issue in the pie, and then it's probably less healthy. Oh, no, maybe. no. Fresh fresh blueberries just piled with sugar. 
Okay. Wild. So much sugar. Anyways, uh, so yeah, that's that's how I'm doing. Hopefully, I will have an update next week. Hopefully by next week, I will have burned through whatever of the remaining cookies I will mm-hmm. not have the willpower to avoid. I'm mm-hmm. including the toffee, which is very tasty, but then sticks in your teeth. And so it just goes like, if you don't immediately go like scrape it out, right? Yeah. Um, just, it's just there. Lingers there going like, you want some more, don't you? Yeah, you do. You want yeah. some more. Anyways, um, so hopefully I will have normalized back to a more healthy equilibrium next week. I should note real quick that listeners, as Kate was talking, I was imagining Kate as Chloe and the bears from We Bear Bears in that episode in the library <laughs> yeah. where they just have too much sugar and their pupils get real big and they move real fast because everyone's moving real slow. And that's how I imagine Kate's been living for this past week. And I really appreciate her kind of balancing out enough to do the podcast, <laughs> even though I must be talking like this to her yeah i i'm not gonna lie i might be editing at like three times speed this week. <laughs> we'll see how it goes um at the end of the show we're gonna be talking about how to with john wilson which is a hbo docuseries comedy sort of it's yeah. a it's a comedy but like in the style of a documentary um that aired on hbo this year has six episodes each is a half hour and it's a more I don't actually, it's been a while since I looked up this definition. It's esoteric feels like a good descriptor. Is that appropriate? I think stream of consciousness is probably okay. the best description for how to with John Wilson. Um, I don't know that it's esoteric, um, okay. but it's definitely, it is definitely, um, whatchamacallit, the word I just said that I can't. <laughs> stream of consciousness. Yeah, it's very stream of consciousness uh, related. It's it's very sort of, I don't want to say it's Joycean, okay. but- yeah, it's within that realm yeah. of that kind, particularly like the last episode. Um, but it's also very much a, hey, let's just see what happens, except that's not the case. This is also a very tightly edited show. Mm-hmm. So, and designed very. in very specific ways. Yeah. So. No, esoteric, I looked it up, does not mean what I thought it did. Uh, yeah. So, because What did just, you think it meant? I, no, it's just like, the, when I think of things that are described as esoteric, mm-hmm. this fits in with those shows. But Okay. It is. It did not mean what I would have inferred it to mean. Um, gotcha. What it does mean, listeners, is designed for or understood by the specially initiated alone, requiring or exhibiting knowledge that is restricted to a small group. Broadly, it is a difficult to understand joke. I think that difficult to understand is what I was taking as the meaning versus confidential, uh, like like requiring special knowledge kind of a thing. Yeah. So yes, sure. it is not esoteric at all, but it is. Very specific. But it does deal with esoteric topics like how to make small talk or make risotto, both <laughs> of which continue to confound me. Yes. Well, more on that at the end of the show. Um, it, it it came to our attention because it has been popping up on some end of the year lists. I've been seeing people talking about it a lot as one of the more uh, underseen or overlooked shows of the, of the year. So we decided to check it out. Um, but before then, we have some news we should get to. Uh, the big news, we're, we're like partway through this as we record. Like the write-ups have not all been written yet. So goodness knows I wasn't going to watch all the presentations. But Disney did its big thing. And so the the takeaways I have from its big thing is Ahsoka spinoff, um, mm-hmm. also uh, Obi Wan spinoff with uh, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen coming back as Vader. Yeah. Also Lando miniseries with Donald mm-hmm. Glover. 
Also, very excited for Bad Batch animated series. Bad Bunch, yeah. Bad Bunch, yeah. sorry. Yes, Bad Bunch. Um, or Bad Batch. It may be Bad Batch. I think you're right. Yeah, one of those. Remember. With, you know, with, we will, I'm sure, enjoy if it's good, based on the characters from the Clone Wars. Um, then also, Tatiana Maslany absolutely is She-Hulk. And there are a bunch of other Marvel shows. Uh, people seem very excited about WandaVision. I don't know anything about it. I haven't watched even a single trailer. Um, but that's one that I might be checking out at a certain point. There's some animated stuff that looks interesting. The what if, yeah. 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 And it, what, what, are, what are your takeaways so far? Well, I haven't been paying super close attention. A friend of mine has been texting me all of it because after I had done with work today, I went to go play a video game and then I had to make dinner. So I've not been paying attention to any of this. Um, and I knew it was happening today and I was just going to be like, I'll just read the write-ups when they, um, when they come, out, yeah. come out tomorrow and digest it all there. Um, I'm semi-interested in an Ahsoka series. Um, listeners, you'll remember how I felt about that episode. So I'm just like, Maybe it'll be better. Maybe. <laughs> um, I'm excited about a Bad Bunch show, but I feel like that had been previously announced or hinted at. Okay. Um, the Obi-Wan Kenobi show was something that had also been previously announced. Um, the Hayden Christensen stuff is new, however. No one knew that was coming. Uh, so that's interesting, but I'm also like, what is he going to do? Um, <laughs> because yeah. he's going to be in the suit. Um, so, but I'm still interested in that. Um, I've been interested in that project anyway, um, cause I, I really enjoy Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I'll be curious to see him playing an older Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, let's see. I am actually really keen to see WandaVision. Um, and I almost suggest that you not watch any of the trailers for it. Okay. I can do that. Um, because they're doing, they're following a story arc sort of from the comics that is a little weird um but i'm really interested in it because it's also pulling a bunch of folks from like side characters from the shows from the movies and by side characters i mean cat dennings um randall park Mm -hmm. uh so not the super powered folks mainly the comedic actors who did like one or two movies and then disappeared um so they're going to be in it as well as a couple of other like little surprises um developments based on the movies so i'm interested in that um i watched the trailer for uh falcon and winter soldier before we started um and still go i don't know what this is but i'm probably gonna watch every second of it um in no small part because it has wyatt russell in it now um which i was unaware of until like four weeks ago when we started doing lodge 49 um and i am very much a Wyatt Russell convert at this point. So I'm very excited about him. But I also like Zemo, as you are aware, mm-hmm. and listeners, when we complained about my Civil War being pretty high up in my list. <laughs> um, not as high up as Ultron, which I'm is still wrong. sure. And that's okay. Is, yeah. Um, listeners, really we like disagree. And he's too polite to yeah. argue with me about it. <laughs> yeah. She, Kate is also wrong. Um, so I'm interested in this slate. Um, but it is also comes with a big, angry thing in the middle of it that I'm not excited about. Which is? And that is that FX is doing an alien television show, which is great. I'm very excited about it. I love that franchise. I even love like the bad movies in that franchise because I think they all have something really interesting to say about the decade in which they were made. And then FX just has to go and fucking ruin it by having Noah Hawley be the guy making it. I'm just like, me no <laughs> i'm not gonna watch that 
Because that's, that's how much funny. I hate that guy. <laughs> that I like how you ended up where I started with that, mm-hmm. which, which uh, is entertaining for me. But um, yeah, yeah, some people are going to be really excited about that, and good for them. I just, yeah, it would take a lot to get me back on board with a alien thing um, at this point. Yeah, sure, but um. Though not as much as it would take to get me on board with the rumored True Blood reboot at HBO. Oh, I was unaware of this. Yeah, this was going around today and maybe yesterday, like last night or something, um, as we record. Uh, why? Why? Why would you do that? It's not, I mean, I know we're olds and all now, but like, why? It's not that old of a show. It's not like there's more to say. Like... I just don't get it. Like, yeah, it's it's maybe nothing will come of it. We'll see. But yeah, the, the Noah Hawley of it all will be very exciting for some people with this um, Alien Universe series. Um, but mostly it just feels like, a okay, something for me to not check out unless some people we really trust really recommend it. So and even then, like, I just, yeah, I hate, <laughs> I hate him so, so much. much. <laughs> not he's not your he's not your jam definitely true any other thoughts on these i'm excited for Catherine newton being um added to uh the third ant-man and the wasp movie Um, i didn't even see that news jeez yeah that's today she's cassie newton uh uh or sorry cassie lang uh which is i think that's the daughter right that is the daughter correct Um, so that must be an age of it i like seriously i look forward to um Arrow, uh, uh, not Arrow, sorry, the CW, uh, realizing they could have had Newton locked in to Wayward Daughters, and they decided not to go forward with that show, despite its very good cast, and she was becoming a big old star between Freaky and this, and um, she's a really talented actor, so I I look forward to seeing what she's doing next, and hopefully this will be a big old happy paycheck for her. I also like that we're bearing the news of John Mulaney and Andy Samberg being in Chippendale Rescue Rangers reboot because why didn't we not lead with that (laughs) well because like i i enjoy them very much but Uh also like i don't see them and go like well they'll be fine as the voices and everything but like who's the writer is what i want to know yeah no that's super fair but anyways any other final thoughts on our disney news no, there's too much of it, and it's still going, apparently. Um, they're just rolling yeah. out everything. They're, like, plotting ten Marvel shows and ten Star Wars shows, and that's just too much. <laughs> yeah, I it's don't disagree. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll see what, uh, we, what we have to talk about next week. Um, let's head into our Week in TV, though, so we'll listen to a little music and come back with our Week in TV right after this.
This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with the finale of Wilmore, season one, episode 11, which is America. Um, and then we'll have a few thoughts on the unicorn. It's the thought that counts. Then the Mandalorian, chapter 14, the tragedy. We have some thoughts on the Great British Baking Show, holidays, season three, or what was aired in the UK on channel four as the Christmas day and new year's day specials from 2019 and 2020. Um, uh, then I will have just a few quick thoughts on the great British sewing bee seasons one and two. I'm currently working my way through starting season three. Um, I will have thoughts on that. Uh, then we'll round things out with the amazing race run on your tippy toes, the penultimate episode of the season. So first up is Wilmore with America. And uh, yeah, I thought this was fine. Um, I liked the interviews and I liked what the, the guests, you know, that he chose to have on and what they were saying and what the topics they were trying to shed light on. Um, yeah, it's, it's not everything I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some, there's some, some takes from Wilmore in there that feel a little, uh, reductive and simple to me, but, uh, yeah, but you know. I pre- like my the pros for me with a Larry Wilmore show almost always outweigh the cons. So I'm still I've still enjoyed this season. Um, we di- I just disagree with him on some things. <laughs> yeah. Sort of where I leave leave this series, but I certainly have enjoyed it over the course of its run. What did you think of the finale? Yeah, I didn't really like. I agree with you on the whatchamacallits, on the interviews um, for this. I think were really solid. Um, but yeah, his opening monologue, which is normally the best part of the show for me, um, and not always because I necessarily agree with him, um, but it's it's framed and entertaining enough that even if I don't agree, I'm compelled by the performance of it, basically. And I think here there was a, both a lack of a performance, but also a, Larry, no, this is... This is this is the exact wrong time to be backing off mm-hmm. um, type of deal. Um, and you're framing it all wrong, too. And it's real weird for me to see you doing this. Um, yeah, it's weird to see Larry Wilmore saying, yeah, I'm not all really that invested in who wins the Senate. Um, that which is the thing that happens in this episode. And is very mm-hmm. strange to me. Like, do you understand what a difference it makes if... The Democrats take those last two Senate seats versus the Republicans because it's a huge deal. Yeah. That on top of like not wanting like a lot of infighting within like the Democratic Party. And I'm just like, I understand where you're coming from with that. However. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) Yet. um, Strategically, sure. But also it almost doesn't matter Mm -hmm. Um, because A, it's going to happen and B, it also from a media perspective political opposition standpoint everyone's going to get painted as a socialist anyway so why not just be a socialist Mm -hmm. um but that's neither here nor there so it was just really weird to sort of not have him do a both sidesism kind of deal but be a everyone settled down for at least two years basically kind of thing um so we can get through and do a reset um which was the other weird thing about larry nothing's going to reset absolutely nothing Biden's been running on an idea of a reset, and I get it. I did not think you would bought into the, that as a idea that was actually going yeah. to happen. Yeah. Um, because it is not. Biden is not magically going to make Senate Republicans behave as if they're not power mad autocrats. Yeah. That's just not how this works. This the the, the 
Republicans in Congress won't say that Biden won the election. So if yeah. they won't do that, why would you think that they would do other stuff? So yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's it's just it's a different it's a different take and it's a different opinion. And that's you know I don't watch uh, Wilmore to agree, because I agree with Larry Wilmore. I watch Wilmore to hear his point of view and perspective yeah. and take it in and digest it and hopefully be entertained along the way. Um, so yeah, I was entertained. Yeah. I enjoyed the interviews and I enjoyed the the season overall, definitely. And I look forward to whatever he's doing next. Yeah, no, absolutely the same. Um, because like we've said, whenever we've talked about this show before, is that he is really great at making good television. Um, and while Wilmore as a program here did not hit, I think, the same beats or same highs as... Um, the Nightly Show? Nightly Show, thank you. I always want to say something else, but it's The Nightly Show. Um, as The Nightly Show, it also just, because of its format, absolutely could not do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at least we got John Hodgman talking about Maine. <laughs> you know, I, I, always I always appreciate John Hodgman, so fair enough. Mm -hmm. um, let's move on to our next episode, which is The Unicorn, and it's the thought that counts. Um, so, yeah. There's a I, lot in this episode. <laughs> there's a lot. This episode is a lot. And this episode is the one this season that really sticks out to me and feels glaringly CBS in a way that, and I don't mean that in a, as a compliment, in a way that season one did not, actively did yeah. not to me. This feels like, this has me leery about notes moving forward. Um, mm -hmm. because this episode, for those who don't know, like this show centers on Walton Goggins as Wade, who is a widower with two daughters, um, which makes him, uh, like the, the most desirable eligible bachelor ever. Cause he looks like, and has the charm of Walton Goggins. And an ass that just won't quit. And owns, owns his own house and has a business and is established and all this stuff. Um, and is has been proven to be uh, of like desirable in a marriage because he did get married, but uh, he is single and available because his wife died. So it's not like he did something to get dumped or like I, that's the context. That's the what you have to buy into. And his best friends are a white couple and a black couple. And in this episode, Rob Corddry and uh, Michaela Watkins. Uh, apparently realize that they are white and that they have white privilege and that it impacts their relationships uh with their with their friends Ben and uh Ben and Michelle who are black uh Omar Omar Miller and Myelin Robinson who are terrific on the show along with everybody else and in the notion that like that these this group would have been friends for all of these years and race has never come up in a way that would make them think about it is ridiculous to me. But also, it's too late <laughs> in the season for this to be reacting to the George Floyd protests and like the, the whole movement we had over the summer. Like you yeah. need if you're not going to do coronavirus, you can do you can do this in episode two, in episode one is your subplot if you want. Um, so it feels very weird, you know, like I, like when they have. Uh, Forrest, which is the Cordry character, talking, you know, because like, he gives a squirt gun to one of the kids um, in the Black family, and the dad's like, great, now I'm going to have to take it away because it's dangerous for him to have a squirt gun. And Cordry's character's like, 
why? That's ridiculous. It doesn't look anything like, oh, and, he, and literally Ben has to say, it's because we're black. And he yeah. goes, oh, wow, I never realized. And then they spend the entire episode on white guilt and on having the characters uh, pour all that guilt onto and, and ask for comfort. And what can I do to make it like make me feel better about my <laughs> white guilt? On the black couple. And then the moral of the story is don't do that. You're just making more work. Listen and do your own homework, right? Which is a great lesson and all. But why why are we doing this? And also, why can't we have Wade be the one who's like, hey, cut it out and give the, instead of making, again, falling into that exact trope they're trying to like comment on. Like there are much better ways to do something in this vein uh than to like literally place uh ben, ben and michelle in those roles of having to patiently explain to their white friends that having to patiently explain race to their white friends is exhausting you know so like i think it's just it just smacks of well-intentioned white people <laughs> um and uh that who are not listening who are not listening at all and it's a shame it is it's very frustrating also not listening is a theme because we'll get i want to hear your thoughts on that part and then we can also talk about all wade not listening to nat to, to um oh goodness what's her name shannon to shannon, shannon. yeah yeah, it was just real weird. Um, and it was also really striking because I agree with you that it's a very CBS and it's a very CBS approach to this because it's just, it's exactly what you described. And it reminds me really specifically of like The Neighborhood, which is another show that runs on CBS. Um, and during, while I was watching this or while I was watching, it was while I was watching this or Amazing Race, one or the other, um, there was an ad for SWAT. Amazing Race. There's constant ads for, for SWAT during Amazing Race. Yeah, so it was during Amazing Race, and they had a ad for SWAT, which is dealing with the exact same thing that you're talking about, which is trying to recontextualize the show within what happened over the summer. Um, which is good for SWAT to do, because it's a cop show, and it's lead is Shamar Moore. Mm -hmm. um you should do that um and your show about policing um which is more than i expect for something like seal team six which is admittedly is not a cop show but you get my point um blue blood trailers have been kind of muted about this um but i'm sure blue blood is dealing with it in its own special way <laughs> um that it feels like shows within cbs are wanting to address what happened over the summer while you said not address the pandemic um, <laughs> because that doesn't exist. Don't worry about that folks. Um, and it just here in the unicorn, it just feels really ham fisted and kind of silly, uh, but not in a good way, not in a, we're making fun of things way or in a, we're really lampooning skewering certain perspectives. It's just, we felt like we needed to acknowledge this. We felt we were positioned to acknowledge it. So we're going to, but we're not going to really do anything. Um, and that was that was really kind of frustrating to watch. And I agree with you. Like, it very much feels like these are people who don't know each other as a result of these things, which is ridiculous given everything that we know that they do know about each other um, mm -hmm. and how involved they are in their each other's lives. Um, so it was just real bizarre. Like, I can understand Forrest giving a water gun mm -hmm. because... That is just deeply forest being oblivious. But then to turn it into this thing makes absolutely no sense to me. 
Yeah. Um, and even framing it as like a crisis for Forrest because he works in HR and is supposed to be aware of these kinds of things makes it even worse because then it explains why Forrest wasn't getting hired at all after he was laid <laughs> off. Um, yeah. So it's just really kind of frustrating um, to watch that. And I mentally just started like zoning out when they kind of kept going back to it because it was just like, this is not good. Um, so tell me about the Wade and the listening and all of that with Shannon. Yeah. Well, the other thing, the last thing I'll say on that is it's a real missed opportunity to have, because I said Wade could like intercept and be like, have you never noticed when you go shopping with, you know, with, with Ben or Michelle that they get treated different? Like there, there are other, other ways that they could do without requiring the black characters to educate the white characters. But they also missed a real opportunity to have Addie be the one who steps in and says yep. something, their daughter, right? Like, and, you know, that would be, that would have been a such a better way to, to do it and give, you know, give the black characters more interesting things to do because the, they have better things to be doing with their time or the show should have better things to be doing with the characters than educating white people. Um, And <laughs> just like the women on this show should have better things to be doing than educating Wade about, hey, when your new girlfriend says, I don't want anything for my birthday, please don't make a big deal out of it. It's not charming for you to ignore that. And then say, but I can't let her do what she wants on her birthday. What I think is important for her birthday is more important. That's what, really, she just doesn't, <laughs> she is a grown-ass woman with an ex-husband and a kid and a, uh, and a home and a job where she is, like, the head chef uh, who doesn't know what she actually wants for her birthday. So it's, and then when they, it turns into this whole thing and actually she does celebrate her birthday, but she didn't want him to come around because she's not ready for her friends to meet him yet because she's f- afraid that they're going to be like obnoxious and scare him away. Like, so really Wait what she did want meets, when she meets his friends, <laughs> which is, you know, they're going to have fun with, but like the way that they play this off is actually really charming and cute and sweet that he shows up with a tree. Like a tree is like a commitment, man. That's like that's not a, like a house plant. Like go go like hot fuzz with the peace lily and everything. But a key lime tree, <laughs> that's not a small yeah. thing. Um. So yeah, it it again it it just felt very toxic and controlling. And like, um, <laughs> she just doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't know because I know better than she does how she feels about birthdays. And and the fact that that never got like shot down anywhere near enough. Like he needed to to have her shoot that down, and then it turned out that it was fine, and he was correct in his assumptions, yeah. and that's what bothered me. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to point out was the fact that the show goes out of its way to make sure that Wade is not wrong um, in this, and that's a little, and that's it's not even a little frustrating. It's frustrating um, because like there's a while I agree with you that the tree is like a commitment, there's also a large degree of charm to getting someone a tree for their birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, but the context of it of, yeah, no, she's just, she's not right. She should, she should want to celebrate it um, is what's, is what's frustrating with it. Um, and it just makes Wade look bad. But I, Again, everyone looks bad in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> except for the kids. Except the kids are the ones cyber-stalking her. 
Well, um, yeah, but I'm okay with that because they're kids. They shouldn't be doing it, but the, but they're kids, and also, you know, they, you know, the things are serious, and this is a, you know, new not mother figure, but not unmother figure in their but lives. They also believe in astrology, Kate. Yeah, like I, <laughs> I was gonna say, they don't come off great because the astrology thing. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I really don't have an issue if you like whole hog into astrology. You do, um, you. Yeah, no, it's fine. Like, I enjoy the memes that I see on Instagram from, like, two people I follow on about Taurus's feel like this. Um, but I I still appreciate the fact that everyone's ribbing them for believing in astrology at the for the cold open of this, the kids. And then it's like, you forgot racism existed and you don't listen to women. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Who yeah. who among us is the true monster here now, Michaela Watkins? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh yeah, so so hopefully things will, you know, right. The ship will write. Hopefully the ship will write. And then, you know, it occurs to me this is only the third episode of the season. So this isn't as deep into the season as it feels like it is. And I think that actually speaks to how well they've established the Shannon Wid relationship that I assumed that it had been on for more than three episodes this season. Um, but yeah, this is, this is not good. This is not a good sign for the unicorn. Um, next up is the Mandalorian chapter four, the tra- uh, chapter 14, I should say the tragedy. And I was, okay. I was very frustrated watching this episode. I already knew what happens at the end mm-hmm. from the internet. Cause you couldn't avoid it unless you watched it right away. I avoided um, it completely for like a solid day and a half. Wow. Yeah, I watched this like two days ago. So okay, that oh, explains well, that, it. That's on you. That's on me. <laughs> um, but so that that certainly helps as you're watching it to be frustrated with with Din. But like, are you kidding me? I'm gonna go see what's going on. I'm gonna leave you by yourself in this undefended position. And that's helping. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, the 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 plot machinations that have to come together so that he doesn't have his jetpack, so that he cannot get there in time to, to to save Grogu and everything, like, it it's dumb. And, of course, the instant he leaves is when the shield comes down. <laughs> like, it's a lot of plutonium so that we can get what looks to be a delightful setup for a get the gang together and save the child, you know, ending mm-hmm. to the season. So I'm looking forward to that. But like how we, what the, the strain they're asking from the show and from me as a viewer to get us to there is, is a lot. So what I'm hearing is that you don't feel like the episode was particularly well structured and that there are major failings <laughs> <laughs> within how the show is presenting its material. Is that is that right? <laughs> that mostly, I just think it's real. It's like it, that's a real dumb way to guard the kid is to leave the kid alone. Like, yeah. what, are you in the middle of a horror movie? Have you never like done any sort of bodyguarding ever? Because that doesn't. <sighs> it's really annoying. Yeah, no. Like with most of the season, there's a lot of like backbending type stuff to get to where they want to be for something, um, and that's really frustrating to watch. Um, I enjoyed all the puppet work in this episode because it's fantastic. Um, More so than usual, like fantastic. Um, Watching Grogu toss around stormtroopers in his little cell was amazing. But then also the world's teeniest, tiny, tiniest little shackles, (laughs) (laughs) which are both horrifying, but also weirdly adorable because of how well designed that puppet is. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But also you get to see Gina Carlo Esposito interact with a puppet, which I did not realize I really needed in my life. But apparently I did. Get that man in a Muppet movie and stat. Um, Yeah, I think that the action here is generally really well executed. I really appreciated Ming-Na being in this, Ming-Na Wen being in this episode, um, even though it doesn't make any sense that her character's still alive. But I don't care because I like her. Mm -hmm. Um, But everything else is just kind of a weird mess of... Wait, no, why would you leave? To your point, is like, why would you leave? Because there's a big force barrier. Okay, yeah, sure. But stay? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Just stay. Um, yeah. Or hop up on your jetpack and do a quick loop and then come back. Yeah. So there's just, like you said, there's a lot of, like, weird maneuvers to get to where they want, which is his ship being blown up enough that it cannot be repaired this time. <laughs> which is a solid culmination of that joke for this season, I feel like. Mm-hmm. That I'm willing to give them his ship being broken all season and then just it getting blown up after it's repaired is beautiful. Um, but the rest of it uh, is just, it's just there. Um, my only other weird thing, and this this is, I don't, I, it's just like, Boba Fett got out of a Sarlacc pit. I don't understand why his armor isn't hanging off of him. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to, but we also don't know how long he's been out of his armor, how, out of that Sarlacc pit. Um, but it was just weird. Anyway, doesn't matter <laughs> because the show doesn't care. Um, uh, yeah, it's just, I am also excited about getting a band together type of deal. Like, I love getting the crew together type montages in heist movies. Um, but yeah, it just, this, this episode was fine. There was just too many things to have to accept are we getting them calling in bo-katan or are, is bo-katan going to like ha- run into them as she's chasing after the dark saber because if she's not in the next two either of the next two episodes i'm gonna be so pissed <laughs> um i don't know i feel like there's a high probability that we're not going to run into her again um that can, but, I guess it can happen in season three, but still. Right. No, it, it'll irritated. probably definitely happen in season three. Um, but I feel like there's everything that Catan is interested in is happening like just off screen. Um, and I've actually been surprised that the Mandalorian, like Mandalore stuff hasn't been as front and center as I was expecting it to be based on the first episode. And then again, after the Bo-Katan episode. Um, so I've actually been kind of relieved about that. Um so, yeah, but my guess is no. But Okay. I will be happy to be wrong even though it will mean seeing Katie Sackoff in that ridiculous wig again. I don't care if it means we get a lightsaber fight with uh with Giancarlo Esposito and uh Katie Sackoff like yes. Yeah. Yes, please and thank you. Um any final thoughts on the Mandalorian or what's next? I, the fact that the little like ball thingy, the top of the the screen thing is Beskar is delightful and yeah. remains very cute. Um and yeah, I look forward to we got Chekhov's spear. <laughs> so Oh man, that spear, man, it's going to go through someone. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see exactly what happens next. But uh let's go to our next show which is the holiday specials uh from Christmas 2019, New Year's Day 2020. 
um, or as it's called on Netflix, The Great British Baking Show, Holidays, Season 3, Episodes 1 and 2. The Great, was it The Great Christmas Bake Off and The Great Festive Bake Off? Uh, mm-hmm. Most of our time, I assume, will be spent on the New Year's special. So let's yes. start quickly with the Christmas Day special, which I thought was fine. I enjoyed yes. this cast. They did a, they did a good job. Like, those, those showstoppers were delightful. Um, but it was very clear, like, immediately, like, well, okay, 24 cake pops is too many cake pops for this amount of time. It's, it's too ridiculous. many. It's too many. Definitely the ones who that looked the best, and it wasn't close, were like the 10? That What's his name? Like Is it Tom? The, 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 the one guy finished. Yeah. Those definitely looked the best. And the, everybody who finished, they didn't look all that great, but I'm sure they tasted lovely. Yeah. Um, the I thought that the the technical was fine. But those showstoppers looked great. And, like, the ridiculous, like, puppets and everything, delightful. So I was happy for Bryony. Uh, I liked checking in on Yan. Uh, and, and, like, she's published, like, three papers, two, three papers. Like, well done. It's only been a few years since she was yeah. on. And for listeners, if you don't know, that's a lot of work in a short amount of time for, mm-hmm. like, academic papers and such, research papers. Uh, any any thoughts on the Christmas special? It was just good to see uh, Jan again. Uh, mm-hmm. We are big fans of hers in this household. Um, so we were really delighted to see her. Um, also Sandy. Yes. And it was nice to see Sandy too. Because um, I realized watching this, I was just like, I miss Sandy a lot, actually. Um, but the other thing was, is just those showstoppers were really good. And you could tell like people had practiced and it all looked really, really solid. Um, doing a square bank was really smart. Um, because you can just put that together, um, as opposed to building a house. Because <laughs> <laughs> then what you have to worry about is the dome, and then you can focus on the dome. So that was smart. Um, but I don't really have anything else about the Christmas episode, because the New Year's episode is what should happen every single season for the rest of the show's run. There is no reason not to have the cast of Ga- Dairy Girls be in every New Year's or holiday special that they do going forward because they are delightful and they are an international treasure that should be protected. It was so fun to watch people discover Dairy Girls, like discover the cast, but they were very much channeling their characters at various Uh points of this. And uh, it was just absolutely delightful. So hopefully people will now go watch Dairy Girls. Uh, The first two seasons are available on Netflix. Each It's a half hour comedy set in the 90s in Derry, uh, Northern Ireland during the Troubles. So like it's a teen, like teen school coming of age comedy thing um with that like context to it of of everything you know the and if you don't know what the troubles are this is the like the bombings and the violence um between ireland and northern ireland and you, you look it up but um so that that is the show six episodes each season each episode is about a half an hour um absolutely delightful super fun um yeah i'm not big on having like the guest ones, they, they do like charity ones, episodes of this, or they used to when it was on the BBC. Mm-hmm. And that's where they bring in like celebrities and everything. And those are delightful in their own way. But in general, I'm not, I don't, like, I really loved this special because it was like a one-off. Yeah. And if sure. they brought back this cast and we got to see them get better at baking every year, that would be really fun. But I have no interest in this becoming a regular thing in general, you know? So, like, the Dairy Girls cast, I co-sign, I'm 100% with you. But celebrity casts in general, no. 
Um, so yeah, let's talk sure, about sure. what makes the Dairy Girls cast so delightful and perfect for this. And I think a not small part of it is that one of the cast uh, had never baked a cake before. Ever. Never yeah. baked a cake before going on Bake Off. And then, yeah, no. And then, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think the other big part of it is, is that it's not a random collection of celebrities. It's four people who have worked together Five people, thank you. Five people who have worked together on a show for two seasons and thus know each other pretty intimately as like friends, castmates, and that kind of a thing. Um, so there's a rapport, there's a degree of in-jokes that we may not get to see, but you can tell they're driving some interactions. Um, there was obviously a great deal of off-screen smack talk and expectations about who was actually going to win. Um, and just watching all of that stuff crumble was really, really great. Um, but the other thing that I think really mattered is that for the most part, all of these four of the five of them are all relatively young. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching them be starstruck by being on Bake Off was delightful because there are a few things I think better than when you see people who are air quotes famous or like within the entertainment industry be excited about meeting other people in the entertainment industry. Um, So Nicola being just like, I just want to impress Prue. I think that she and I could just be really, really good friends. And Mm -hmm. I need to bake everything perfectly so that Prue will like me. Is just deeply endearing, even if maybe a little performative. But it's great television. And it just endears you to the entire thing that they're doing here. Um, And everyone also, the other... Thing that I think works really well here is that, like you said, everyone's kind of playing to their character a little bit from the show, but it also means that we get a really eclectic tone whenever we hop around to what's going on. So we get really dry stuff, we get some really just befuddled stuff, but vaguely optimistic, um, very deeply worried, I can't talk to you right now because I'm a deer in hand- headlights, please help me. <laughs> Um, all this sort of stuff. Um, so I think that the chemistry and that decision, maybe unconsciously to kind of shift into their characters, really elevated the material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cast are all like 26 to like 28, mm-hmm. um, up to like 33. Like Nicola is 33. Um, and then and then the act, uh, Sh- Siobhan is is older, right? The sister Michael character uh, actress. Um, but yeah, like there's a good blend. It's just it's a good blend of fa- like likes to bake, familiar with baking, completely unfamiliar. And watches bake off regularly has no idea what's going on. Like there's yes. like it's a good mix and because there's five of them and because they have such a strong rapport they're able to like cut back and forth between, you know, as needed. There's enough material for the editors to work with. Um mm-hmm. also the choices of uh the choices of challenge are very deliberate. Um yeah. and and I know some people thought that the judges were being overly kind, but I have made trifle before. It is very, very possible for a trifle to look terrible and taste delicious. Yeah, no, that's like the entire thing of a trifle is that it will probably look terrible. It will also probably taste delicious. Yeah. So like I had no trouble believing that like those those travesties, you know, what what looked like travesties were actually like it's cake and custard and whipped cream. 
it's gonna taste good as long as you don't you know put your jelly in there and then put a hot custard over your jelly which then melts your jelly into slime um i felt so bad for siobhan there because like the jelly looked great when she put it in it really did um oh man it was worth it for all the great dry quips Mm -hmm. from the slime of like don't insult my culture like that. <laughs> yeah. It's a tradition, traditional slime. We all have it on the holidays. Don't judge that. Well, and there's just like, it's, I mean, I think this is a performer, an artist thing, but it's yes. definitely an actor thing of like this combination of like, you have to be confident. You got to sell it, right? Yes, exactly. You'll, you go, you'll walk into an audition and you will mm-hmm. just be thrown a thing and they're like, oh, by the way, uh, it says on your resume here and your special skills that you can ride a horse. Yep. Yep. I am very comfortable riding a horse or I will be by the time you call me back. Uh, you know, like you gotta just go with it and be, yep, of course, I'm completely prepared for that scene that you did not, uh, that you told us we were doing next week. Uh, but I just need a quick bathroom break and I will be right back and I will, yes. <laughs> so there's a good combination of performative confidence, actual confidence, and then like wink to the camera, right? So yes. they're just, they have good, t- terrific comedic timing. Uh, they know how to play off of the judges and yeah. the judges were having as much fun and the hosts right. as anybody else. And so that really just brought it all together to a completely delightful, charming. I should have raised the grade higher on this one for a baby club. What did you I, give it? I gave it, well, I gave the two together a B plus. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like that was like the average, but I should have specified that this one's an A. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's important because I do think it averages to a B plus, absolutely. Yeah. But this is very a very solid A episode of Bake Off mm-hmm. because it's so fun. It's so it's very, very fun. Um, any final thoughts? Uh what did you think of our winner? Oh shit, I was so delighted for her. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't want to spoil it, even though by saying her I eliminate one of the cast members. Yeah, but, but I mean his cake was raw, so it's not yeah. that su- surprising. No. But I will say that, um, listeners, I really encourage you to check this out. I also encourage you to check out Dairy Girls, which is a show that I think is very, very good. Um, But this is just, it was very enjoyable, and I was so delighted. (laughs) But, oh man, I really hope that she's just carrying it around while they're filming season three and rubbing it in one of her one of her castmates face the entire time yep yep (laughs) definitely uh i still want to know what the deal was with the musty cake that to me feels like somebody in the production team messed up an ingredient something or other Mm -hmm. um but i i i'm very curious what that actually was or what the deal was there but yeah once you know what we're talking about, listeners, you can drop us a line on Twitter. Um, let's go to our next show, which is the Great British Sewing Bee, uh, which I heard that this was a thing. It was like, oh, okay, well, uh, I am not in a like psychological and mental place to handle an actual show right now. Uh, <laughs> I, am, I have way too much work to do um, with the holidays and everything. So let's put on a show that I can absolutely fall asleep to. And that is a great bit of sewing bee. The first season is kind of rough. The, I think it, because it's the first season, it's a shorter season and they didn't have, you know, as so frequently happens in skill-based reality shows, they didn't have the name or like name ID or uh, profile to attract a really terrific slate of like competitors. So like the person who ends up winning, like the people who are in the finale are good, but like, like it's a little rough going at the beginning. And 
they're holding the audience's hand way too much. Like, this is a pattern. To make a pattern. To make an A-line skirt. Like, literally the first challenge is to make an A-line skirt. And I'm like, seriously? I can make an A-line skirt. Um, and I <laughs> have barely sewed anything. My my mom sews, and she is amazing. She's just a wizard with a, with a sewing machine. So I've watched her do stuff, but I haven't done very much of anything myself. And even I could make an A-line skirt from a pattern the way that they have to for their first challenge. So there's a bit of, of a learning curve, but the second season um, I thought had a much improved talent base from their cast. And like by the second or third episode, I'm like, Ooh, who are they going to send? Cause I like all of these people. They all have interesting things they're doing. Um, it's the same. It's from love production. So it's the same production company as baking uh, bake off. Um, and they have three challenges. The first challenge is to make something from a pattern. So they give everybody the same pattern. They've never seen it before. They have to go to the fabric wall, pick out whatever fabric they want, and then make this, and then make it their own. Like, personalize. It's like, finish making it if you have enough time. And then add details and flourishes to it to, like, make your stand out. Then the second round is... And then they, they rank everybody in that round. And then the second okay. one is... In the first season, it's not blind, but in the second season, it is blind. And that's where they give everyone a standard... Like, a basic garment, and they tell them to uh, alter it. So, like, maybe okay. it's a t-shirt, maybe it's a... a maybe it's a um, skirt or pants or something like that. Or, like, here's, like, a basic boxy dress. Change it into something else. Alter it. Do whatever you want with it. And then they, then they, in the second season, and I'm guessing on, they, they blind rank them. And then, uh, so then you you know, so it's their version of the technical. And then the third one is the one that they can prepare for, where they tell them what they're going to have to make. They could pick their own pattern ahead of time. And they'll, um, I'm guessing they know what fabrics are. Maybe they, they order a fabric or something. And so that'll, that'll mm-hmm. be a, that's the long one. So that's where they have like six hours, seven hours, that kind of a thing to make a garment. And then every week somebody gets eliminated at the end, somebody wins in the final three. Um, so I, you know, and in the second season, we have some of those interstitials that used to happen on Bake Off where, with history about different, like the history of the Macintosh or so singer so or sewing machine company was founded in the UK and blah, 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 like that kind of a thing. And that was really, that was really interesting. Uh, but mostly as a show that you can kind of have fall asleep while you're watching and then like wake up 10 minutes later and be like, Ooh, how are they doing? Like it works great. <laughs> and I actually have come to really enjoy it. It's a good, you know, kind of background thing. If you don't want to keep rewatching Bake Off and you can find it, you have access to it, um, you know, and, and sewing is of interest to you. You can check it out. See what you think. Our next show is The Amazing Race, Run on Your Tippy Toes. So you are the one with the stronger opinion on this. What did you think of the 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 Alliance, all of these different things? What did you think of this, of this penultimate episode? Well, I mean, I really feel like, I mean, we just need to remind ourselves that this is a race and it's a competition. And, you know, there are winners and there are going to be losers. And I think it's just really important to keep that stuff in mind. Okay, everyone? (laughs) Oh, what's that? You thought that this was a waste of time and you should have just come here on a vacation? Okay, D'Angelo, bye! (laughs) Oh, a million dollars isn't life-changing for you, so you could have just paid to do all this stuff? Okay, bye! (laughs) Yeah, Um, because woof, woof. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but that was my big takeaway from this episode is that D'Angelo is a very sore loser after being an asshole in the previous episode. Um, yeah. so it's somebody just like, doesn't like alliances when he's not benefiting from them. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting how that works out, isn't it? 
Um, good on Gary for being like, oh no, we'll talk about this in like a month and he'll talk about how much he loved it. Um, and I kind of don't doubt that that's true, but also yeah. boy, that good Doughboy is just like, buddy, you're, you're a there's, much better human being. This is, a, there's a camera right here. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Buddy. I know you're upset. Um, but we all got media training when we, when we joined the NFL, you knew someone had to lose, right? Like, that's how this works. Um, I know you know that because you played professional football. Anyway, um, I thought this episode was structured really well in that I like that just there was you, everyone does the thing and you got to do it. Yeah. Um, The sprint like model. Yeah. The sprint model, I think is really good. Um, I think it should come earlier in the race um, because like maybe like midway through. Um, I understand why doing it here, just because there are fewer people. It makes it very easy to follow, yeah. Yeah, it does make it very easy to follow. Um, but then they get to the they get to the flag challenge, which is always a quintessential amazing race thing. Um, and these people, two things about them. So first thing, watching them not be able to figure this out was deeply satisfying after watching them just kind of cruise through everything because of the Alliance. Um, And it was really compelling to watch them just completely break down because their Alliance wasn't helping them in this instance, because that was just really rewarding to watch because one of the problems I think I've had with the season is that the challenges have just resulted in not being very compelling television. Um, so watching them just collapse, watching them get ready to unionize like they're bachelors on the bachelorette is just amazing to watch. Like they're ready to quit. This is so difficult for them. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you realize that they're repeating the same mistakes that they made at the beginning of the race, which is number two, read your fucking clue, everyone. Like, read it. It's not complicated. It's yeah. not complicated. And After you've been there, like, well, and when you realize the penalty is only two hours, it's like, oh, man, if they had just taken the penalty right at the beginning, mm-hmm. that was the way to go. Yeah. So I think that watching them just completely collapse because they couldn't figure this out mm-hmm. was delightful for me. And then watching them kind of be like, we can just brute force our way through this because we've kind of got it. And then they keep getting it wrong because they didn't read the clue was again, just so deeply, deeply satisfying because I've come to the other thing I've come to realize upon watching the sheer schadenfreude I got from this was I really don't like any of these people. (laughs) I like some of them in like a television way, but like overall, I just don't like them very Mm -hmm. much. Um, So through the edit and through the race and everything. I just like the Alliance has really soured me on all of them, I think. So just watching them just completely collapse was really, really great. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. How did you feel about this episode, Kate? Well, here's my thing with it. And uh, this was too hard of a challenge. Like it was was a hard challenge. It was too hard of a challenge. Yeah. Like I'm okay with them having very difficult challenges, but like, there was no way that they were going to get that any of them were going to get this if they didn't work together. Like, there's just no way. 
Uh, I mean, they could have, you know, not that they should, that giving up was the right thing to do. What they needed to do was exactly what they did, but each team was going to have to do it individually rather than Mm -hmm. as part of a, as part of like a permutations in a larger group. Um, But like, because it wasn't like there were four places that had music. There were way more than four places that had music and only two of them were memorable to those people songs. Like the, the like, did you notice which classical quartet the the people were playing in France? Like, and then we're gonna we're gonna turn it into like a rock song on an electric guitar. They're never gonna get that. Was it and, a classical quartet? I thought it was just the music that was playing in the amusement hall. No, it was the oh, quartet. Okay. It was the string quartet okay. at the, the gallery, right, okay. where they had to walk around. Yeah, that was that was the France one. Um, okay. And, and so, like, yeah, no, it was. If it was the at the, um, I thought it was at the amusement hall in Paris. Yeah, but... with the, the no, it wasn't. It was because okay. they showed the quartet. Um, okay. And I just and that. yeah, um, so like like the Deo and the like the also, I mean, when you you have the other context clue of Entrance of the Gladiators, mm-hmm. right? Da, ba, ba, da, 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 which is such a carnival. It's like very associated with carnivals and stuff in pop culture in American pop culture. So like that is like has a immediate thing you can draw back to easily but like there there are plenty like there were plenty of other places that that had music when they crossed the finish line that were not used and so expecting them to identify even like the more obscure songs um in a completely different instrumentation and arrangement i thought was asking too much like so so like if there were like if they were all super recognizable then that's not interesting but mm-hmm. have having them having them have two that were not recognizable and so many other ones it could be mm-hmm. just made it overwhelming so like i was just like yelling at my screen you need to work together this is taking too long right or you need to like show up assess the situation and take the penalty and and so yeah like yeah, it, that was my like for me. It was a production issue because you could tell they did not want them helping each other. Like, yeah. it seems very, very clear that Phil is pissed about the the um, the yeah. team, like the alliances. He did yeah. not want them to use an alliance like to help each other out in this episode. And so, if you don't want that, then you got to make this a more doable sure challenge. Yeah, I um, see where you're coming from. I absolutely as I as just... as a professional musician, I thought that this music challenge, I I would have struggled with it. I don't know if I would have been able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's as a string player. I, I like as a string player, I don't think I would have recognized the string quartet on electric guitar. Okay. That's fair. Um, and I don't disagree with you. I think it's hard, but I'm glad it was hard. Like, like yeah. I said, it needed to be difficult. And um, I want difficult ones in this next, in the finale yeah, as well. I need- yeah, I need difficult things in the finale. I need to watch them struggle to get sauerkraut, you know? Right. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, like I said, there just have not been difficult challenges in part because of this alliance, but also in part because the challenges act haven't been super difficult. Um, so it was just really, for me, it was just really rewarding, even if I do agree with you that it was going to be difficult for them to get right. Um, and that they would have ended up having to work together anyway. Um, but at least for the legs, for the, ch- for the things leading up to this, they really couldn't work together. Yeah. Um, yeah. and this kind of rewarded that behavior, but it just took them so long to do it. And I appreciated that they just took so long to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm okay with it because it resulted in great TV, which is kind of all I've been waiting for from the show this season. Um, and then just Chef's Kiss on on Chef's Kiss with D'Angelo just being so angry about losing after yeah. just it was just the bitterest of tears. And I was just like, yeah, buddy, you know what? Really tiny violin for you. Just the tiniest of violins. Yeah. Because, like, you know, the blonde bandits would not have gone out that way, you know? No, because they were just like, there's a name for the Alliance. (laughs) You know? So, like, yeah. And and it's not like D'Angelo wasn't dishing it out. Like, so if, like, if you can't take it, don't dish it out. And he was dishing, so you got to be able to take it. And I do not doubt that he is a lovely person in realties. And, you know, it's a difficult, stressful situation, a very frustrating situation and all of that. Um, But you made, you made for um, entertaining, but villain edit TV. Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations. Like we said, Gary very much being like, buddy, there are cameras on us. Like you said, (laughs) you need to cool it. Yep. (laughs) was just great as well. <laughs> well, what one you're working TV? Um, both episodes of The Flight Attendant from last week were really good. I'm really excited for you to get around to watching those. Um, but I think what won my week in TV was The Dairy Girls on Bake Off, because what else could it have been? Yeah, it's what about obviously you? The Dairy Girls on Bake Off. It's like not close. Yeah. It's very not close. Um, that wraps up our week in TV. Now we'll take a break and come back with our spotlight on how to with John Wilson. Hey, New York. HBO is having a hard time uh, explaining what my show is. Uh, so I, I just figured that I'd just try to do it myself. Usually the host of a TV show is uh, right in front of the camera. And you can see exactly where the uh, voice is coming from, which I guess people like. But in my show, you never really see the host. And that's because I'm actually behind the camera the whole time, uh, filming everything you see. So instead of having to uh, stare at me for the whole program, you get to see all the cool stuff that I, I like to film instead, which I think makes it a lot more exciting to watch. I spent a lot of time uh, walking around New York, trying to find the answers to some of life's biggest questions. Sometimes I uh, talk to people that I meet out in public and ask them for their advice. Other times I'll just open up a door and see what's on the other side. And every now and then I leave town for a couple of days and explore what uh, other cities have to offer. But at the end of the day, I always uh, come right back. It's kind of like that show Planet Earth. Uh, but if it was only in New York and uh, David Attenborough was forced to film everything himself. So stick with me, and I'll show you how to solve problems uh, that you didn't even know you had. Because even if it looks like you've got it all figured out, there's always a million ways to get it wrong. That was a trailer for HBO's How To with John Wilson, which is a one epi- uh, one season, six episode uh, series, I believe. I don't think it's been renewed. I don't know. Um, I believe it's just a one-off. Uh, anyways, this is a, a documentary style show narrated by John Wilson that purports to uh, 
study and examine how you do certain things. It's a how-to. And each episode starts at one point and then branches into several different places before coming back around to the the central thesis or like the the question of the episode um, and examining it with now a slightly different lens and perspective while giving you little hints of the life of our documentarian along the way Mm -hmm. and the life in New York in general. Um, What did you think of this show? I think that apart from really the finale, which I think is the show's strongest episode, but also the strongest episode by happenstance, um, that this is a show that I can really appreciate. I can understand why a lot of people really, 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 really responded to it and why it's on a number of best of best of the year lists that are starting to come out. Um, but I think this is also a show that I just kind of appreciated and got what it was doing and went, this is good. But it just never really kind of connected with me in any way, aside from an occasional really small sublime moment that I think most of at least a small, maybe half the episodes have um, that you can really only get in this kind of a show format. Um, So I think all of it generally works really, really well. And it is something I would actually actively recommend to people. Even if it's not a show that I felt particularly compelled by for the most part, I do think it's very well made. I think it is also very well written, which is something I really want to emphasize about this is that mm-hmm. each episode has two to three writers. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. It is also really immaculately edited and Wilson has a terrific eye for creating image associations with dialogue um, that I think really stand out. It just didn't connect to me in a way that I was kind of expecting to after seeing a lot of the buzz about it. Um, But I do think that this is very good. Um, I just, I think it's very good for me from a distance almost of like, I appreciate this work of art type of deal. It doesn't move me in the same way like that kind of thing down the hall did, but it's good. I can tell that it is good. Um, That is how I feel about it. so how did you feel about it, broad strokes? Um, yeah, I'm in the same place as you. And I will. I looked it up, but it has been renewed for a second season. So we are talking about How to Be John Wilson season one. Um, it was renewed, uh, as we recorded, it was renewed yesterday. So, oh, okay. um, yeah. Um, but this is, I, I appreciate it more than I love it. And this is not for everyone, but the people it is for will really like it. The thing is, I think that the people that it's for may not know that they love it until they finish it. Um, which because of because of some stuff that we'll get into, but like, like I I definitely like this is one like, you know me I can binge a lot. I could not binge this show. <laughs> I watched one episode. I was like I was like okay let's you know let's put this on. Uh, I'm gonna like hit the treadmill and like walk slowly so I can like really focus on it and um but still get some like steps in and, and everything um because I don't have a lot of time today um and I'll do like three episodes right I, I, I one and then I was like okay nope my mind is wandering I need to turn this off and put on I don't know something else <laughs> put on some bake-off or put on some sewing bee or put on some uh uh you know just something that is more that requires less of me i think this requires a lot more as a viewer um to connect with it it's it's not going to come to you you have to come to it 
And yeah. uh, this is, it's interesting because like, obviously this is created by John Wilson. Um, and it is, is it's a docuseries, but it is a comedy series, comedy docuseries, which is not a genre I am familiar with. I'm familiar with faux documentary comedies, but not like actual comedy docuseries. So that's kind of neat. It introduced a whole genre to me. Um, but this was also produced by Nathan Fielder of Nathan For You. And this reminds me of that, um, not insignificantly. And I connect much stronger to Nathan For You than I do to this one. Um, and maybe that's because that's more sketches and more skits, more, you know, traditional in that way, traditional comedy in that way. Um, but you know, I do think it's bringing up these interesting things. It's giving you stuff to think about. Like the episode that starts out with improving your memory and ends up at the Mandela effect at a, like a mini conference on the Mandela effect. I'm just watching it with the context of what's happening right now with the election and watching people go, you know, I'm pretty sure it's not that I remembered this thing wrong from my youth or that like I saw Febreze and I don't look at it very closely and I know how to spell the word breeze. And that's why I assume there are two E's rather than that there actually are. It's not that it's that the timeline has shifted because that is the only way that this can make sense. There's something about that that just fits really nicely with, no, no, the election is not what it is. And also when these doctors are saying that coronavirus is very serious and prevented by masks and here's all the data to prove it. Um, but I don't think it is because I remember that it's not that. So therefore it's not. And it's easier for me to believe in parallel universes and people altering the timeline than it is for me to accept that the way I've been thinking about something might be inaccurate. Like there's, so there's like a lot in here in these smaller moments. Yeah. That's just one example that, that are very resonant with what we're experiencing right now. But it, it's, it's inviting you to think about that on your own time as you watch. And right. so it's just, it's a very, it's a very different experience. I, I would say than most of the shows I've seen. Yeah. And I, there's definitely like, um, I think Nathan Fielder and uh, Nathan for you is a solid connection to watch when his name came up after the first episode, I went, Oh, this explains it. Um, uh, as someone who never really responded to Nathan to Nathan for you, I just went, Oh, this, ex this explains it. Um, listeners, I also kind of equated my general response to this, to my response to review, which if you listened a couple of years ago when we did almost all of it, um, I was like, this is, I get it it's not funny except for the pancakes episode. Um, <laughs> um, I get it. I love that show so much. I love how, I love how like you're like, it's not funny. I'm like, it's hilarious. And yet we're both on the exact same page about this one on this. Um, and so like, for me, there's a lot of like connections between certain kinds of documentarian modes that this is operating in. Um, so for me, it reminds me a lot of like Sherman's March, which is this really long documentary about um, filmed by a guy named Ross McElway who broke up with his girlfriend and then just decides to make a documentary about Sherman's March through Atlanta. But really, in fact, he blows the entire grant money on shooting in and around Atlanta trying to get laid. Um, and navigating relationships that he forms while trying to ostensibly make this movie about Sherman's March to the Sea. 
Um, it's really great. It's really compelling. I haven't watched it in years, so I don't know how well it holds up from when I saw it back in college. And this movie was from the early to mid eighties. So around the time that I was born, if not a little bit earlier. Um, but it has that same kind of self-deprecating narrator, unreliable self-deprecating narrator, this kind of wanders into tangents that then kind of loop around into something meaningful kind of structure, which is also kind of Errol Morrissey as well. Um, more Errol Morris being a director who's done a number of documentaries about kind of weird people, which is very centered in this in uh, How To with John Wilson uh, from the Mandela Effect Conference, which just had like a Errol Morris-esque feel to the entire thing, to the random people that he encounters that show him how to make risotto or the guy who has the foreskin and thing, mm-hmm. um, which is not how science works, buddy. I really hate to tell you, but that's not how any of that works. You don't get taller because you stretch yourself. Your foreskin does not grow back because you've attached a weight to your penis. This is not how any of this works. Um, But kudos for just showing us that penis in a completely uneroticized way. Um, (laughs) Hey, penis on the screen. 2020. It doesn't rhyme. So it's not as It doesn't rhyme. Yeah. But all of that being said, like, this is very much operating in an established tradition of certain documentarian approaches, um, to your point. Um, But it... I do also agree with you that it is a show that asks a lot of you to like stay tapped in because it is very heavily edited and very heavily structured in a way to your point about the Mandela effect and this idea about election and just the very nature of truth and what is a fact um, is something that is there in this episode, but is off screen. Like, you're supposed to draw that connection to it, which is something that's really consistently done throughout this entire show, is that it is very much about, here's the thing I'm going to talk about this week, which is scaffolding, uh, which was by far and away the most interesting thing until he pivoted away from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I found the entire concept of scaffolding as, like, a thing within urban life to be really interesting. I was just like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then you kind of pivoted away from it. But then you got back to it. And that's kind of the thing about the show is that he pivots away, finds something, and then it becomes about something else. Um, Which I think they do generally a solid enough job of making that through line happen. Um, I don't necessarily know that the episode about covering your furniture really hits as well as I think they wanted to, but at the same time, I can't be upset because there's so much good cat content in that episode. There's a lot of good cat content. I like that episode more than you did. Um, if only because I was, I found the process very satisfying mm. as they go to the like, the process was cool. As they go to like, you watch them like, no, we will cover anything you bring us and we will do it like immaculately. Like yeah. I, that yeah. was neat. <laughs> um, I, I will say that how to split the check spoke very viscerally to me and my experience as someone who in uh, undergrad was friends with like a bunch of engineers and uh and scientists and you know also I had a separate group of friends that were all musicians but like I was in my nerd group of friends it was mostly people who would graduate and make you know money to some extent in a way that as a musician that was never going to happen and so like every now and again you'd go out to eat 
um, at like, you know, when you're catching up kind of a thing and be like, oh, yeah, let's order a couple bottles for the table. Be like, I ordered, I, I ordered the, the, the ham and cheese, the ham and Swiss like crepe so that I could spend the least amount of money possible, but still visit and catch up with everyone. I don't want a bottle for the table. <laughs> yeah, so like, it's speaking to me. Uh, in a visceral, real way. That was that that particular lunch. I still remember was a birthday lunch for um, a lawyer friend and all of their other friends who were also lawyers, who all at least get compared to a musician, made money and so didn't have to worry about it. I'm like, yeah, well, I'll split the check. That's fine. That's the easiest way. I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna kill you all. Um, so like th- that episode, I particularly could enjoy. And then when you fold in the context of heading into the pandemic and be like, oh yeah, wouldn't it be a nice problem to have right now to have to figure out how to split a check? I think that that, you know, there's some serendipity in like when this was filmed and um, also, you know, the structure of it and seeing, you know, what was happening, following the timelines of what was happening. I do not think it's just coincidence. I think they also saw the writing on the wall and was like, were like, uh, yes, we will definitely use this. This will be effective. Um, the, 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 you know, you talked about the editing. This is very specifically written and edited and, uh, the vocal performance and stuff of the voiceover and everything is very specifically crafted. Um, I just like, as someone who does minor amounts of editing, on a weekly podcast and has been doing that for 484 episodes of this podcast, 159 episodes of streaming in place and all the other episodes of all the other podcasts I've done over the years. Um, I can, you know, I don't do a lot of editing, but I do enough to know like, holy crap, how long did this take to make? Because I cannot imagine the hours of footage that that were filmed for this, that were shot for this, and then had to be streamlined through. So, like, even just on that level, I can really appreciate the craft. Um, did you have any other, any moments that, like, stood out to you where you were like, well, this is just perfect. <laughs> well done. Well, I do want to get to your point about splitting the check, because I okay. think that episode is also a really great episode of, okay, we're going to talk about splitting the check, which is something we've all experienced, and I really like his taxonomy of people who pay or don't pay or how people get out of not paying. Like it's all very solid observational comedy that they do that is then backed up by all this footage that he has shot um, or footage he has staged because you and I have questions about whether or not Kyle McLaughlin really had problems scanning his MTA card, uh, which as friend of the show, Allison Shoemaker um, explained, it's the most Kyle McLaughlin thing you can think of. But also, was it staged? But he's handling it so calmly. No person handles something like that very, as calmly. But he's also Kyle McLaughlin. Well, <laughs> I can't be the only one who was thinking, are they just running around constantly getting releases from people? Because you can't just show their faces. Correct. Yeah, like you have to get releases. Because, um, yeah, anyway. Um, so that. But all of that stuff with the paying of the check and then being like, I'm going to go have a dinner with referees and which is cool. Like it's fun. It's entertaining. Um, but then you realize that this is just an episode about Congress and it's real weird to watch <laughs> that happen. Yeah. Again, just slightly off screen of like, Oh no, even the people who make the rules and enforce the rules 
aren't doing these things because the referees are depicted as being disgruntled, being a bunch of children, et cetera, et cetera. And the people at the very top of the referee echelon are the ones who get the 50 inch television and the golden whistle. Um, So all this sort of stuff. um, And you're just like, Oh, this wasn't about this. This was about this (laughs) going back to your point about demanding stuff. Um, So your larger point about the serendipity, I think, is really important because it's why, A, I think the show is hitting as hard as it is among folks because it is by far and away, I think, the first show that kind of captures both a pre and then immediate aftermath of the pandemic in a way that is really specific still. Um, Superstore did a nice job. This is because of how it's structured and because of its documentary feel feels different from that. But at the same time, if there had been no pandemic, what is the closing button for this show? Because listeners, the last episode takes place roughly across the beginning of January when things are starting to kind of happen into March when things are shutting down. And I really wonder about the overall arc of the show because it has this really beautiful coda of, oh, wait, we have to relearn how to do everything now. Which is really great and really lovely and speaks to one of those kind of sublime moments that I was talking about. Another one being um, in the first episode with the guy from the um, MTV party who they just start talking about dead pets and then his friend who died. Mm-hmm. Um which is just gorgeous and amazing. But I really think about, wait, what was the button for this show if there had been no pandemic? Because it creates this beautiful arc for this show. But I wonder what it is without that. Well, I, you know, my question is, how much of that last episode is written after they're mm-hmm. in the pandemic and after the the landlord yeah. has already gone to the hospital, right? Um, yeah. And and did they have, they is the How to Cook Risotto thing with the other person just like one of many many different things filmed things that, that, they did. That, that they actually end up you and they are like oh we can take that and fly plop it in here and you know that will work um which i would be surprised if that wasn't the case um but because in the moment you're not thinking about it because it's so seamlessly structured and put together um so yeah that I can't be the only one who was stressed out the whole time watching that last episode going like, okay, but she can't die. Right. She's not going to, but they're not going to do this to us. Right. Right. Too close. Too soon. We're in it still. <laughs> so I was yeah. very relieved when it ends with I her was too. <laughs> getting back and it's a stroke and, but she's recovered and she seems like she's doing fine. You know, like, thank you, John Wilson. Cause I did not need that. <laughs> Well, no, I felt really bad because I, my partner and I, I had to finish this episode before, right before we recorded. And I was just like, my, I told my partner, I was just like, I need to finish this episode. I have like 20 minutes left on it. The show's been fine. I think we'll be okay to watch it like together without you having any context. And then we were both just kind of stressed out because of the arc of this particular episode. Uh, listeners, Kate and Allison had both emphasized to me that I, if I didn't watch anything past the three episodes I had watched when we had recorded streaming in place, that I needed to watch the finale. 
Um, so, but I like carved up enough time to watch all of it, but I was just like, I need to watch this finale. And then I was just like, oh, this is the most stressful episode of the whole show. I very much apologize. (laughs) (laughs) I did not realize it was going to be this, um, Mm -hmm. that there was going to be an old woman in peril because it was really funny because of the, I'd watched eight minutes of it and then broke to go like play video game and make dinner, help make dinner. And then I was just like, I was like, oh, it's about risotto and it's about his landlord. So I think it's actually going to end up being like about immigration. Um, How I wish (laughs) it had been about immigration instead. Um, But that's kind of what I was expecting it to end up being. Um, But then turning turning risotto into a metaphor for life, both in general, but then pandemic life. I think it's a pretty solid choice. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, Risotto's no, very fussy. <laughs> yeah. And also, even if it's gloopy, it's still delicious. If you've had right. add, just add enough cheese, it'll still be delicious. Um, well, do you have any final thoughts on this? Do you recommend it to people or yeah. not? No, like I said, I definitely recommend this to people. Um, I think I would be very picky about who I would recommend it to. And I would couch it in a couple of different sort of do not binge this. This is not mm-hmm. a show to binge. You can maybe do two episodes at a time, but you really shouldn't do any more than that because it is something It is something that you get rewarded by sitting with, I think. Um, at the very least, having someone to talk to about it um, because I was really excited to talk to you about this. Um, and I was also very excited, listeners, when I found out Kate and I were on the same page about this, that we weren't <laughs> going to get into a fight about it. Um, <laughs> not that we've ever gotten to a fight about any of this. Um, after next week 260 episodes of me being on the show um (laughs) um but yeah so i think that there's just there's some really good stuff here and i would definitely recommend it to people um but i would be very specific in who i recommended it to uh what about you yeah i mean it would be you know this i feel like anybody who would ask me about this who'd be like oh have you heard about would be someone that i'd be like hey if you've heard about it and you're interested, then check it out. I would even not go as far as you. I would say do not even watch two at a time. Watch one at a time, and then maybe the next day watch the next one. But the more that you sit and think about it, um, the more it will benefit. The viewing will will benefit. And like you said, if you have someone else that you're watching with, or that, you know, or find a podcast about it, if there is one, or look up some reviews and reflections. You know, this is the kind of show that I feel like isn't really reviewable, but is very reflectionable. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and uh, I think part of that is built into the autoethnography sort of approach that they have with this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's a lot of food for thought. Mm-hmm. I think I just, for me, I just am not in a place right now where I want that, which is very damning. (laughs) Does not make me look all that great as I sit down to watch another episode of Sewing Bee. But I really um, push against that, that that doesn't make you look great. But (laughs) art hits at people at different times from different perspectives and in different ways because we don't consume things in a vacuum. Um, So it's okay. It does not make you look bad. No, no, it's not that. No, it's just like, normally I want the show that is going to want you to think and where you have, you might have to work a little harder, but it's really rewarding. That's the kind of show that this is. Um, Just, I, so I would temper some of the expectations that I think come with the types of raves that this is getting from the types of critics who are raving about it. 
like friend of the show Allison Shoemaker, like friend of the show Mo Ryan, like a bunch of people who I really respect who are like, oh, is the best finale I watched all year. I'm still thinking about it. Um, it's about, you know, one of the top X shows of this of the year. It's the one that's going to stick the longest. It's nailed the pandemic better than anything else. Like, they're not wrong. But if yeah. you go in expecting all the other baggage that that type of description tends to bring with it, I don't know if you will appreciate the show in the way it is designed and intended to be appreciated. I think that's super duper fair. I think there's other one other thing about it, but I haven't been able to put my finger on it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll keep thinking about it. I'm sure over the next you know several weeks as we head into our end of the year. Um, but for now, that's how to with John Wilson, or how to how to with John Wilson with Nolan Kate. Uh, a few show notes here. <laughs> You can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can uh, find an M4A chapter feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed up on Apple Podcasts. We're also over on Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And you can also find us both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thanks so much for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Thank you.